This is bullshit. America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit. Hey everyone, welcome to the NBS podcast. I feel like has it been how many years now, Ian? Have I has I have I started with that opening? Um with that opening or uh with uh with with either necessary bullshit podcast or NBS podcast. Oh my gosh, I guess we should have coordinated a little bit better. I just went like, hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I mean, just the general style of like, you know, I feel like I don't know if that's the first thing I did. That's one of the first thing ways that I felt most comfortable kind of introducing myself on mic because as you know you know this is our anniversary episode so we've been doing this for three years I think and I just think about back in when we were noobs I mean I guess we're still kind of <laughs> on the newbie side especially <laughs> when we every time that we have to do new technological the technological kind of differences especially with with everything going on with us no longer recording in the same space but I remember how you know, we just had a mic in the center of the room, so the sound was all hollow and echoey in the room. Oh, God. And, uh, I know yeah, that first episode. We were episode. sharing, like, a single mic, and I just remember being super nervous about just, like, you know, recording my voice and putting it out there in the world. And, you know, how do I how do I find joy in this and not seem cocky? Because even now, like, my friend was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. Just going to have to go record the anniversary edition of a podcast that I've been doing for three years. Like, <laughs> well, and you know I'm like, what? why am I speaking like that? Like, where, where did that, where did that pompousness come from? Uh, probably from hanging with out you. with me for too long. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, another, another, uh, thing to make me seem uh, more pompous was that I never exactly felt that nervous, uh, when we started the podcast, because as you'll recall, and maybe our listeners have intuited thus far is that when we started these conversations before recording, uh, I think I, you know, you'd probably agree with me that I had no problem speaking my mind in front of you and my wife and, and other people. And I think that's what prompted you to agree with me to, to start a podcast. Cause it's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell is this guy talking about? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you're jarring. I mean, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to lie to you. It's like, there's still even topics now that I, and for me, I just, you know, it's one of those things where I'm never scared to have an open discussion. I'm just cautious of, of possibly like, am I the right mind frame to talk about a certain topic do i have a wherewithal to have an opinion on it because you feel like you know you feel like you have no problems having opinions on everything and for me i'm not quite (laughs) you know i don't mean that and the thing that sounds more negative than i mean it um but you know what i will say is that you've always been as a friend you've always been extremely jarring and you've always like never been shy to share your point of view and i think i even struggle i think the one thing that you've taught me and this podcast has taught me for sure is to is to not like assume beliefs where when you say one thing like i attach it to all these other things because most of the things that i know that are like that people that say that are attached to those other things but just because there's the potential for that attachment doesn't mean it's necessarily there so I check myself and to make sure that I'm like, okay, like he just said that I feel weird about that. Like, why, why do I feel weird about that? And then yeah, let's the, have the a feeling of weird, the feeling of weirdness, I think is a pretty common thing around it, around me. Um, but you know what too, though, I, I will just say, I, I don't think I was always like that. You know, I don't want to say I've always been confrontational, but I mean, early on, especially when I started college, um, you know, I would find myself in these weird situations where 
you know, as you know, we've talked about this too on the podcast, but there, I just couldn't let things go. I would hear what people have had said and I just like, mm, that doesn't make sense. And then I would just continue right. to, to ask out and ask questions. And then of course, that's what got me into uh, trouble online. That's what, you know, has gotten me into strange and awkward situations. Um, and I, yeah, there's part of it that I really, really enjoy. And I think that's why too, you know, especially when we've had, when we've had those strange conversations, I mean, I can't recall how many times when you would be over at our apartment, you know, we'd be, just, you know, just shooting the shit. And then I would say something and then to see both you and my wife's reaction, uh, you know, your and your facial expressions like, oh boy, they thought that was weird. And then to also then encourage you guys to push me back on issues or uh, to just like go as deep as we could, as, de- as deep as we could, it's just really super enjoyable. And that's why, you know, of sure. course it's, it's, and you it's also have no this. issues playing devil, av- devil's advocate or no, definitely not you know, kind of pushing the envelope or, or, or what you're thinking. I just, you know, it gets into like this tricky standpoint, you know, for example, I, with this anniversary episode, I think we're going to continue our, our kind of tradition here and talk about some flaws that we see in American democracy in general. And I think it's, 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 Politics is, is an interesting flavor to it these days, and it's it's really difficult to kind of navigate some of these discussions, you know, when you feel that that everything is so one way or the other, that there's no kind of like questioning on either side, and there's no sense of like medium balance, and I don't even know what that balance is. I don't even know if we've ever had that balance, but like I feel like we're so unbalanced now that it makes me long for a sense of balance. And, you know, how do you kind of bridge that gap? But I think that there are some certain, you know, technical issues of democracy that we can probably discuss. And I do know that you have a couple of questions for me. Or I guess off mic, you did definitely say that you had a single question for me before we got started. I don't know if you wanted to kind of touch that point. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's no other preamble that you wanted to, uh, <clears throat> you know, sort of chat about, there's there's sort of one question that's been on my mind. Uh, not necessarily that I wanted to pose you, but I think it's a good opportunity to. Um, and that's, you know, in, in the state of our democracy now and, you know, the the absolute chaos that that came out of the Trump administration, <coughs> excuse me, everything else that led up to, of course, the Trump administration and now the aftermath of it, um, you know, there was chaos involved there. But I think that that's not that kind of chaos isn't unique to our American democracy, because I think there is something possibly inherent in democracy that might be at the root of some of our problems. And the question that I wanted to pose you, Josh, is that with the rising tide of, of of populism and how there's no incentive to furtherize education and how the loudest voices are always the ones um, pushing movements forward, whether or not they're good for the country or not, or good for the people living in the country or not. Twitter, you know, and the toxicity of social media. I'm wondering if those aren't symptoms of something that we've been trying to avoid or trying to solve, but rather they are baked into how democracy actually functions. And with that in mind, you know, I worry that because of our propping up of the ideals of a of a democratic state, 
you know, not necessarily disassociating democracy from uh, a republic, because as we know, we've, you know, we've chatted before on the podcast and how those ideas are very much linked, especially in America and, and, and in other um, historical right. I guess it would be well. it would be fair it would be fair to say that we're a democratic republic. I right. think is, is the is the most accurate description of of why we run things the way that we do. Yeah. Um but yeah, so. we, you know with though with the still in mind though, you know, the the sort of democratic ideal it makes me wonder and I and I worry that there are things about our democracy that just we cannot change because that is the mode in which we are set to operate. And, you know, I guess maybe the, the most stark example of course is, is the last four years and how not only, I mean, you know, aside from, aside from technical details, right. Within our constitution and our, and our elections, right. You know, the difference between a popular election and the electoral college and the rules that allow for, you know, a popular candidate versus a candidate chosen by electoral college to become president, you know, taking that, getting rid of that thing. You know, we had Trump for four years. That was an absolute mess, not just for our nation when it comes to foreign powers, economy, all that shit, but for how the culture responded to that presidency. And I think, uh, you know, uh, again, I, I, I hope that you'll agree with me here. I think the way in which we talked about the Trump presidency was just completely disjointed and fucked because like we really lost sight of the plot. I think most of us did. And I, I, I just have a feeling that we're moving more and more in that direction, even though we have Biden now as president, as if he'll, fix everything overnight, which I don't think is, I don't think will happen. I'm not suggesting that you think that will happen, but <clears throat> I suppose that, I mean, and I'll, I'll stop ranting here in, here in a second, but I was about to say, I'm like, you're philosophering this shit out of me. Cause I remember <laughs> the one, this reminds me of the one class that you made me sit on in philosophy. And oh, I'm yeah. like, Ian, like the teacher was like, anybody have any questions? And instead of questions, most people just monologued with Avery. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like sitting there like, when's the question part? And so for me, you're like, I got a question for you. I go, great. I'm like, okay. Ian's like six minutes in, like, I kind of know where he's going. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll play off. There's a few things you said that I kind of wanted to touch on, but I'm glad you've, you've even caught your own self. And uh, yeah, let's get to that. Uh, let's get to that question. My guy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The question, <laughs> the question at hand is. What do we do? I mean, is this is democracy is democracy a good idea? You know, you want to talk about flaws in American democracy. You know, is a dem- is democracy a flaw to society? I you know, like I, mean, I see what you're getting at. Like, I, I think one of the things that I wanted to note is you're, you're, you're correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're drawing a link between like how democracy requires kind of like the majority and how that kind of is a cesspool for populism, mm-hmm. you know, because technically you know, in the democratic mind frame, like it's, you know, if I'm being, if I'm trying to be completely objective here, a populist approach is not necessarily a bad approach because the goal is to get the most amount of people to believe you, you know? And so to, to, to try rules. to, right. So in trying to appease to the majority, you know, to get votes, I, I can understand that tactic. And I think also too, it goes deeper. You have to probably look into like, you know, radio and then television and what that did, um, 
to our attention spans. Like, you know, TV was when the, you know, when presidential debates were first started to be televised, it then became like, you know, all of a sudden we want presidents that have a visual appeal, mm-hmm. you know, that have a vocal appeal. And then you start doing like tests of like, oh, is this person, you know, going to be great because they have the speech to, to be a president or, or, you know, like it opened up different assets to where maybe somebody who might have had the brain to be president, if you didn't have the stage presence and you didn't have like, you know, the capacity to talk in front of a camera, things like that, like, you know, you weren't into that candidate, you, you may not have done well in that realm. So you have that side from the candidate side, but also from the people side to where now, you know, it, it's become, and I know this is kind of an overused cliche, but it's become a popularity contest where there's not real kind of policy being proposed. There's not real real you know it's a lot of rhetoric and it's a lot of like you know twisting words to say things that are always coming out in your favor you know because you want to keep your image up and for me the the one flaw that i'm seeing and i think i i kind of this is where i'm where i'm linking where you're going is due to the slight influence of the majority there's going to be a hint of populace no matter who you are and what you talk about and so when i watch like a a political correspondent or you see like a supreme court case or you see people responding to things you know you just watch these debates and the older that i get and the more that i kind of look at it, i'm like they're never really answering any questions you know they're just they're they're misdirecting they're answering with different questions they're they're saying like these generic things and and i realize that like politics is, is is a game it's it's really it's like a, it's like a game of of calculated popular chess um in how can i move the right pieces to get to the right spot to 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 it seems very how can i propel my career you know i, I feel like there's less and less about the people and this is what's interesting is like for me it's like the juxtaposition of populist rhetoric is going way 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 up and i believe that like actually caring for the people is going way 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 down <laughs> you know, so the, the right. talk that we're here to support us is is not conducive to the actions or, or what's being done in that regard. You know, but I'm getting a little ranty. My theory is why are we so absolutist? You know, like if I'm I, I, I brought this up several times before, but my my best theory is there's been all these different forms of governing that has existed. And we've learned like, like socialism and communism, we've learned that them governing on their own, like doesn't always, it doesn't work because there's other factors into play. It always becomes authoritative. It always becomes tyrannical for some reason, you know, people always abuse and take the power when they can, you know? And so I feel like with democracy, it's, it's, it's kind of like a veil to where like, yes, we can all function. It's just a more clever way to get to power instead of just forcefully taking it. Um, You know, but I think that in this regard, why not kind of have a hybrid where there's different sections of the economy? We're complex. You know, why not have an interwovenness like a bringing in two different styles that can all work together depending on the sector or the outcome that you're looking at. And if we had educated people who knew how to navigate that, because we already do kind of have a semblance of that. And I made a joke about public to- toilets, you know, we're like, are you going to poop or public roads or public transportation, <laughs> you know, or, you know, like, or you know, Medicare, for example, taking care of the old, we all pay into that. It's like, those are popular policies that have, you know, like a socialistic nature to them that, you know, I believe could be effective. However, um, I don't know if we're collectively like ready for that. <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you could look at lots of European models. I mean, take the UK, for example. I mean, the UK is famously, uh, I don't want to say a socialist country because it's not, it's very much a democratic 
you know, like pro capitalist country, but they have many, many more social programs uh, that they employ. You know, I think a lot of it is because, you know, they've had famously high taxes for such a long time. Same thing in Canada, um, obviously to prop up the the royal family. But, you know, it's it, along with that comes the the various social programs that they've had. Yeah, judging our last episode, let's not bring up like taxes and the British. And <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> I know. Yeah, it might uh, might worry some some listeners. Um, but, you know, so so I don't necessarily think that um, that modern society uh isn't prepared for america you know it's hard to say i mean again we already do have so many other you know social programs you know i.e social security medicare um we have a lot of yeah, but they're not really programs. like they're not they're not incredible they're 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 un, they're not really well designed <clears throat> i mean i agree you know, with we you spend, and the, the, but right and i, I just feel like still it's, there. It's, i don't know like if the purpose yeah they are they are and i'm not i'm not gonna discredit you there but you know the purpose is you know, and this is where I think too, it's like, what is the purpose of a society? And I think, you know, for me, if, if I'm going with the context or the overlay, like my, my, my overlay is I have a capitalist society that runs with a democratic Republic. Like if we take the United States, I would assume that like, if you're focused about economy, which that seems to be the huge focus, like even right now, like, you know, obviously with the pandemic happening and, and there's, there's a lot of people that are more worried about, you know, the economy than like, than a disease simply because of the fact of how it was handled initially. I mean, I, you know, I now we're in this weird. Sir, Josh, let me interrupt you here. I think um, uh, I, I would frankly th- think that most countries in the world, at least most countries with any respectable GDP or anything to gain or lose um, from the global system crashing, I think most nations are worried about the economy, not to say that that's right or wrong, you know, but I think most of them are worried more about the actual economy than the pandemic. I'm sure they don't want to be dealing with the pandemic, but because it affects the economy. And I think, you know, you sure. I'm just saying that a lot of other countries like, you know, waited, you know, America opened up the quickest and then now we're dominating all numbers, you know, when it comes to cases and deaths and, and I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true that we're dominating. I mean, look at France and Italy. They're still way worse than we are when it comes to cases um, and deaths, especially. Uh, but, the, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. However, I do think, though, you know, you, you made the case that, you know, America, you know, your your view there as being uh, capitalist i'm not saying i'm not saying like you're trying to level out some kind of critique here but i think capitalism i don't know if it's necessarily the root of the problem i'm just trying to okay no no no. i'm just before you go on a tangent let me finish my thought (laughs) okay okay yeah Um, yeah sorry yeah so yeah it's okay it's okay so what i was initially going to say is, is what i'm linking to that is is i'm just trying to say that right now in our american culture we have a high value on economy and the participation within that economy so you would think that what would be the goal then of, of a society like ours? Well, it's to make sure that people that enter society can participate in the economy. Because if we're all buying and participating, then everything runs smoothly. So you would you would argue, one would argue that the goal should be to like, when citizens become of age of 18, they should be set up to be able to navigate our economy as effectively as possible. You know, that keeps competition high, that keeps everybody engaged. And we just don't care about that. And so my biggest thing is like, if I pay taxes and it went to kind of programs, either education or things like that to make profitable citizens, 
And you can look at it from either side. If they're successful, then the, the progressive side is happy because that's the person living their best life. If they're successful, then the conservative side is happy because they're spending, they're buying, they're, they're adding to the market. You know, all these different things can be beneficial on either side, especially for values. And we really don't care about that. Like we, we do on the surface. You know, this is what I mean by like words only get you so far and actions don't take you that because it's difficult when you claim to care. But like, look at the amount of money, you know, we spend on military, you know, and I know that that's a common thing that gets brought up all the time too, but it's kind of silly. You know, if you really think about it and how much we spend and like some of the things that are going on, it's silly. Yeah. I mean, I would totally agree with you on, the, on, on that front. I think, but especially what, the, what America spends uh, our money on is very silly things. <laughs> you know, you, I, I think, you know, the, the inflated military budget is obviously silly. I've brought that up many times on the podcast. I, I know. And I know, you know it's not a, it's a common, it's a common arguing point. We don't mean to like talk about things that are, that are super conducive, but, it, but it's, it's still like looming. It's like never changing. It's like that one thing where, you know, I can understand now, like there's some people that have huge government skepticism, you know, and you're, you're, and you're one of those people like to the extreme. And like, there's certain aspects like that where like, how long have been people talking about the conflated military budget? Not a damn thing has changed. You know, no matter how hard you try to push or talk about this, it's it's this glorification. And I'm not trying to, like, demonize war or, or heroes of veterans because, you know, obviously there's there's times throughout our history where it's important to have that defense. However, like, I just feel that it's it's this unnecessary, it just grew to beyond necessary. And now we're here dealing with unnecessary bullshit. You know, thank you. Hey, hey, no. You usually <laughs> give me a little, like, quip for throwing that in there. But... You know, I feel that it's citizens can have a sense of individual freedom, but also have some sort of support in the society that they live in. And I feel like there's also there could be like a fun balance there. And and we're not even close to a sense of balance. And that's why I feel like, you know, authoritarian, like authoritative or tyrannical uh, governings, like that's way too far government control. And like for you, like sometimes this whole, you know, I'm not saying that you're, you know, that you're full libertarian now, cause I know you switch or even anarchal, but it's more of like this idea of like completely no government, I think is too far in the other direction. So like for me, I guess I just want to live in Goldilocks land and I don't want the too well, hot porridge. I don't I, want the too I, cold I mean, porridge. I, I want to try to find the porridge of this right. I think a lot of people, I mean, would, would, I mean, want that sort of thing. I mean, want, most people just want to live happy and healthy lives where they're comfortable financially, where they don't have to worry about drastic change. You know, most people, you know, I had actually, I had a difficult time uh, trying to convince uh, somebody, someone of this uh, recently, but most people, uh, especially when they, you know, we've heard the phrase, most people, when they get older, uh, become more conservative, right? And they were more liberal um, when they were younger. And, you know, the person I was talking to this about, they're like, well, you know, like, I don't, I don't see like if you, you know, get older in life, why necessarily you would get more conservative politically. I'm like, no, 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 not politically. I mean, temperamentally, you know, because think about it, you know, the older that you get, it's it's more likely that you have more at stake, you know, whether it comes to finances, maybe you own a home, maybe you have several cars, you maybe you have children, you know, like maybe growing children, not exactly adult children, but children that you have to take care of. And so, you know, when there's uh, incredible, you know, crazy fluctuations in the economy or bad inflation or bad unemployment, um, there's a war going on, what have you, like those are bad for your stability, right? And so you would probably want to get, you would probably more likely uh, become more conservative as you get older simply because you just want that stability. 
and you know people who are more liberally but to push minded. back on that uh, oh go ahead sure no. but to push back yeah. on that just a little bit though it's like you can one can make the same argument though is that the problem is it's not you know that's very charitable i think that the problem now is that we are blurring the lines between being conservative in a mind frame sense and linking that to the conservative party and vice versa sure you know? and it's like so and I, essentially what i mean is like there there are like are a subset of people that they believe that their well-being is because of this political party and like and they might even have thought conservatively and then think that okay well if i think this way and everybody that i you know know that thinks this way is with this party then maybe like there's the ones that are looking out best for me and i'm just saying that like i'm not trying to and again this is where people conflate stuff like just i'm not trying to make the statement here the democrats are any better i'm just trying to make the statement that in the republican side what I see most often is that like there are a lot of people that are in the bracket that might benefit from more progressive policy that that are diehard, you know, conservative because they they don't want their family to be affected. And so there's almost like an advantage taken of that mind frame of those people, you know, and they're convinced that like, OK, well, if I don't want my stuff taken, this is what I got to go for, you know, and there's there's not there's not that separation between between belief party and, and actual knowledge or, or policy or, or ideology. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong on that. Um, I guess I, you know, one of the, one of the problems that I see, I don't know, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring this back to what exactly we were talking about if we were talking about anything at all. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think you were talking about like, does, is, does, does, is, is, is does democracy eventually fail a society? I, well, I, I mean, is, yeah, is, that was definitely the, my generally. original, original question, but I think we move beyond that. I, you know, I, I guess, you know, what you're sort of talking about with people, you know, I don't know if maybe disenfranchise, disenfranchisement um, is the, is the right or wrong word here, but people do feel attached to labels and to their tribes. Yeah. Maybe, we, maybe we can go in that direction. Um, You know, they're Democrats more, more generally are, I don't want to say younger people because there's plenty of older people who are in the Democratic Party. But, you know, there are plenty of, of Democrats who are liberally minded, progressively minded, and there are plenty of, of Republicans, obviously, who are more conservatively minded, maybe more libertarian minded. Um, and they do feel a strong uh, connection with their party, right? You know, they identify very strongly with them. And, you know, another another thing here, too, you know, I guess to link this back to my original question that I proposed to you, is the amount of tribalism that comes with uh, our democratic society. You know, and I know we've, we've chatted about third party stuff before. I, I won't rehash a lot of that right now, but I do think that sure. part of the reason why the tribalism can be so pernicious is because of the polarity within our democratic um, American political parties, you know, like conservatives, it's also like an annoy. It's also like uh, you know, not to cut you off, but I want to make sure that I get this point out. It, it's also like, you know, what bothers me too is is you know, on the Democrats, they 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 tend to like act like forty percent of people would not just die on the horse that Trump <laughs> lies on right, or whatever. Yeah. Like you know, like when they'll make a speech and something will happen, they'll be like, you know, the American people have spoken and they're sick of Trump and what he's doing, and they're like, well, that's it's not <laughs> exactly know, like, true. I feel like that's. <laughs> I know. And, and that's why I get frustrated because like, I understand why they're making those comments, but I'm like, no, there's the big, there's still 40%, 40 fucking percent of people 
that are believing what he's saying. Yeah. Like you can't just say that yeah. all of the American people and look how close, you know, the election was in general. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's, there's these, and that's another thing too. It's just these like, Oh my God, everything's fraud. Everything's fraud. Of course, if you're not winning, everything's fraud. And like all these States are in Arizona's like, no, it's, it's fine. And then, you know, finally, you know, like just recently, William Barr was like, no, nah, there's, there's nothing going yeah. on. And now Trump's like pissed off at him. And there's rumors that he might be fired. Like it's, it's just, it's just kind of, it's just wild. But, but back in that main kind of point, it's, it's, it still was a close enough race at a lot of these different places. It was nowhere near kind of what had been projected. Now, of course, we can argue like validity of polls and the fact that it's been two election cycles that have not been very good on. And it's really hard to gauge what the American people are going to do, you know, obviously because of all the content that we're digesting and, and how divided we are. But it just goes to show that there is like an abandonment of of like acknowledging like certain aspects of each side when each side talks. You know, and Definitely. I feel like it, it bothers. Well, me. you know, <clears throat> the way that I sort of think about this is and I look to uh, I look to the UK for comparison, you know, for 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 good reason when it comes to uh, the very left Labour Party uh, over in the UK, like they would, you know, what we would consider the the uh, Democratic uh, progressive alternative or equivalent rather Um uh, to us over here. And yet they very much hold workers in their, in their hand. A lot of the, most of the time, um, laborers as, as they would put it. And over here, the Democrats, you know, I think, well, I mean, you know, we haven't really gone into the history of the democratic party as well as we should on this podcast, but I mean, to keep it short, you know, the democratic party very much used to be more what we would probably consider conservative, uh, and right wing, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, after after the nineteen, you know, or I guess after the 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 New Deal, you know, and FDR, you know, the Democrats very much became a more left leaning party. You know, they fought for workers' rights. You know, and and it, they've sort of been that way for a long time. You know, they're speaking out for minorities and what have you. And the and the the Republican Party, uh, vice, you know, conversely, has been very much. Um, you know, speaking for the elite, they they've talked about fiscal uh, responsibility much more than the left has. Uh, they're obviously very different parties, you know, uh, split down the middle. Sure, but, and, and that's actually the interesting, the interesting thing. To, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was go just going to say, you know, the 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 the, th- the funny thing about that is that I feel like those roles have reversed quite a bit. You know, that's the reason why a lot of working class people, middle class people, voted for Trump in 2016 and still wildly support him and the democratic party for some reason, you know, they're like, Oh, like you said, like, Oh, America's spoken. Nobody likes Trump. It's like, well, there actually are a huge amount of people that Trump is really speaking to, you know, maybe not genuinely. I doubt Trump actually gives a shit about his constituency at all, but sure. he's still speaking. No, to them. It's, it's long as it serves him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a secondary. Yeah. It's like a secondary tier where it's like, I love you as long as you're loving me. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, but you know how do how do you think how do you think yeah. those people respond when when they're told that like well you're you know you're voting for a racist and a bigot and a maniac and therefore your association with him also makes you that i.e. the deplorables uh, and I you know that's incredibly alienating and you know I know we've talked about this before so I won't go on no it's difficult because but... I mean I think you're just bringing up to the fact that like I was toasted on the podcast and I was even you know ranting I think I said something like 
you know, like you're all fucking idiots or something like that. So it's like, I've even debased <laughs> yes, you know, Trump yeah, fans yeah. on this podcast, you know, so I, I get that sentiment. And I think the only connection that I was going to make to that is it's an interesting, it's an interesting parallel because well, he talks about now, maybe I'm overstepping here and I might be at risk of overgeneralizing, but I feel like the average working man and woman don't any, anybody else really <laughs> what? no, okay. well, I'm just, well, I'm saying the average kind of like lifestyle in America, we're, we're not investing in stocks. We don't have property that we're sharing. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, a lot of us are not, you know, and so it's interesting that, you know, we make this switch. However, Trump is still all about the stock market. He's all about, you know, what's going on with, with, you know, with our numbers in, in that regard, economically speaking, or the DOJ. And like, it's just, it's, it's just interesting because those things don't really affect the average person, you know, that are not trading in stocks and bonds or that are, that, that at don't least not on the surface, on level. you know, like they do it, they do not on the surface. And there's also like, sure. Yeah. And then, but there's also things like, you know, that's, that's always big practices in big businesses. Like, the, like the concept of a dividend is interesting to me, you know, from a business perspective and how that kind of like, and I know that like, you're probably like, oh, he's going to bring in Yang. So I'm bringing Andrew Yang. But like he kind of, well, he kind of shed light on that where it's like, you know, why did people, why do people have an issue with a dividend, you know, for the, for everyone? I'm just curious as to the disdain for that. I mean, obviously where we're going to pay for it is different, but most people had issues for it. Having questions of how it's going to happen, I think is different than why you oppose it. But for me, like the, these, this aspect of, of, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's um, what's the term? It's it's a wolf in a sheep. It's a wolf in sheep's yeah. clothing. The Republican Party now all of a sudden trying to claim that they're for the working man. Like I I, I to me it feels like a, a wolf in a sheep's clothing. I mean, I, you know, I I definitely think you're right there. I mean, because there are, I think the conservative party on a whole doesn't really. Let's just say that they have more working class values. Uh, you, you know, for example, like you know, picking yourself up for being bootstrapped, being successful without a handout, that sort of thing. However, it just happens to be that the conservative party represents people who are a lot more better off, <laughs> right? So you know, it, it's it's hard for them to actually connect uh, with working class people, and that's true, and that's also difficult as well because it's also like, and I and and I no discredit to people that had you know, worked hard to achieve their success, you know, that, that may have had extra support than others, but it is difficult when I, and for me, maybe the whole simple idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that made sense before we understood the complexities or are starting to understand more of the complexities of human nature. Like the genetic research that's, that's being done right now is interesting. You know, they, they, uh, same with this guy and that basically they said that like they did this genetic study about biological parents. And apparently it doesn't matter the diet that you were raised. Uh, if you're gen genetically speaking, most, there was a strong correlation of body mass index being equivalent for parent to child. So like if a mom separated from a daughter and was raised in a different household where she was eating, you know, whatever the other household said on average, I think it was something upwards of 70% or 70 to 80%, like had the matching body mass index with their genetic parent. You know, so there's a lot more that is, is involved in genetics that we don't know yet. There's a lot more that's kind of involved in our environment raising, you know, especially when I'm learning and, and, and counseling. Like there's so much that the environment does when it affects our genetics and affects our relationships that we build. And, and each step of our development is connected and it's complex and it is idiosyncratic to each of us. So 
like this idea of all these different dynamics that builds who we are, you know, just to, to, to dumb it down to like, nope, you just got to pull yourself up. Like, yes, there's merit to that, but that cannot be a hundred percent of, of, of what it is, or at least to me, intuitionally it does not feel sure. that you can really be effective if that was just the way but that I the also, world was. I, I, you know, it, well, let me, let me just respond to that here for a second, unless you have a, another point. Uh, no, I was just going to say that, like, it makes sense that people that that come from bettering backgrounds would use that rhetoric because it is easy for them in, in yeah. that standpoint. Now, I, I'm not saying they're directly doing that, but like it is correlated. Sure. No, and you're absolutely right there. I, I do think, though, it is it is difficult to uh, assess not, you know. I mean, looking at what the problems are when it comes to people struggling, you know, I think you can more or less pinpoint what's going on. However, I do think it is so dynamic that it is hard to find exactly what is ailing everyone, um, you know, whether it comes to economic failure or or struggle or obesity, um, things of that nature. However, I think when it comes to, to finding the solution to that, I think the solution is obviously much harder um, because... You know, when you look at the economically downtrodden, uh, you know, there are obviously, I'm sure, you know, many factors that uh, that that allow that sort of thing to happen to someone. You know, if you're uh, you know, if you're living on, you know, minimum wage, you know, you're living in a shitty apartment, you're eating shitty food, your parents um, were absent the majority of your childhood, obviously just giving them better pay. Or, you know, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be facetious with the Yang thing here, but, you know, just giving them an extra $1,200 a year or $12,000 a year, excuse me, um, probably isn't going to solve everybody's problems. Now, I'm sure, you know, you've probably realized that uh, when it comes to something like, you know, the what is it, the um, the the income thing that Andrew Yang wants to call a universal basic income, um, you know, when that sort of thing is is employed into people's. Uh, pockets every month. Obviously, I'm sure somebody like Andrew Yang expects there to be more social programs. You know, whether whether it be like adequate daycare for people's kids, adequate housing, um, cheap and affordable, and healthy food, that sort of thing. Um, but again, I, I find it difficult to to accomplish all those things, especially when our uh, when our values are so misplaced. And I'm sure that's something that you probably agree with me on. Uh, you know, obviously our, you know, the America's values in education is, is probably off the mark quite a bit. Um, I just think that, you know, maybe we could talk about Andrew, actually Andrew Yang, you know, I've been sort of, you know, you talked about it, you know, a little bit, I have been sort of trotting around it. I, you know, I think what Yang Yang's idea, I think, is admirable, and for for one main reason, I think he's and you've brought this up before. He's really trying to reevaluate how we how we value work, right? You know, because you know the the typical job is just like you need to go and work with your hands to make money, break your body, and maybe retire with a little bit of cash that you're sort of comfortable with, and that's basically it. Like you don't get a whole lot extra from that sort of thing. And what Yang is trying to I I think is trying to start a conversation about is what we view work as and how we should value it, the different kinds of of work that there are, that there are, you know, because there are things like artists, you know, for example, who, who probably struggle quite a lot more than just a regular working Joe or Joanne. And, 
you know, they, you know, they, they putting their, their life's work into it in a type of artistic passion. And it probably doesn't pay out very well, you know, maybe for a select few, it does, but you know, when you're, when you're barely scraping by just trying to make, you know, sell some art uh, and paintings at an art, at an art gallery, like that's probably pretty stressful. Yeah. Maybe you're doing something that you love, but it's probably degrading a little bit and demoralizing to, to, to fail. I mean, I'm not saying everybody fails, but I'm sure most people do. And so what Andrew Yang is trying to, uh, trying to change the conversation on is like, Hey, like, what if we just give everybody a little bit extra? That means, people who are doing okay might be doing a little bit better so they can follow their dreams and not like work some dead end job. I like that a lot. I like that idea a lot. Um, and I think too, it's like, he's, he's, he's just throwing to the wayside. I mean, to get in on this, the reason why it logically made sense to me is he was kind of thinking about all the facets, right? A, he was thinking about the fact that we're in a, you know, we we're in a consumer, like we're a consumer based society. You know, we, we love to buy, you know, we love to, we, we can say this even now, like, look at the, look at, you know, yes, pandemic has stuff there, but look at the PS5, like in the Xbox One series, look at the new consoles, like literally like so many people are trying to buy. It's just this chaotic mess, you know, and, and all these other things. I mean, there's people that like this one kid that became a millionaire selling sneakers, you know, we, we love to buy and we also have things that we need. So like our basic necessities, we no longer acquire them ourselves. Or if we have to, this is what I mean by kind of consumers. I'm like, if I want to hunt, for example, and I want to provide my own food by hunting, I still need to go to the store to buy the gun, to buy the equipment, you know, whatever hobby sure. that you develop, there's, there's a, there's a cost involved with, with maintaining and upkeeping, especially like then you have to buy tags and you have the hunting and wildlife that you have to deal with. So for me, I figured in his mind is like, look, if you have, you know, people that are living in these small towns and you give them money, they're going to spend it, you know? And yes, like you said, I think there there's, there's averages wherever you go. There are going to be people that misuse that money 100%. But he is assuming that like most of most, most of the people, they struggle with this idea of capability. And I feel like giving a dividend of 12, 12 K, it's not going to be able to support you, but it might help again, lift the boot off of your neck of financial stress, because that is the number one uh, type of stress that also like, ruins the most amount of marriages. I don't know if that's still true, but I do know that that is a, a financial. Oh, b- oh boy. I could give you some insights. I can tell you what, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, so it's that kind of this kind of nature where it's like on average, like having people invest back into their economies by spending it, you know, having people maybe choosing to, to take a path that they may have not been capable to take because of finances. Like for me, for example, I am super happy that I get a chance to, to learn more stuff and take a master's program. But I, if I had the financial capability to, I would much rather be on campus, like learning, you know, in an actual place. Now, granted, now, obviously with COVID and everything else like that, that's not tangible, but like, let's, let's just live in a, a fa- fantasy world where I could, I would much rather, you know, a friend of mine had said, Hey, like I'm going to Antioch in Seattle. Like this is a great program. Like they have a theater arts kind of counseling program. Like you should check it out. But like, I don't have, mm-hmm, which is one thing I'm going to start eventually looking into is, is integrating theater with counseling. It's what I'm super stoked yeah. about, like for my career path. However, like I do not have the capacity to move anywhere to do anything outside of online schooling. So yes, I take the opportunities that I have, but I I wasn't capable of making the choice that I would would have rather have made. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I guess it's difficult. You know, I'm not blaming I, anybody but myself. Oh, sure. You know, but yeah. I will say that like it wasn't until later on in life 
when I was like, wow, I'm starting to understand like the way that I should be navigating. And like, it would have been nice to kind of understand this 10 years ago, you know, <laughs> and there's no way to blame yeah. me. And again, we, <laughs> we talk back to education or other things like that, but it's just more of, I guess that's why I'm super sympathetic from my own perspective. Cause I went, you know, there's certain things that like I want to do that I feel like that would progress my involvement in my community or my my betterment of my own life that I'm just not capable of making because everything has a dollar sign attached yeah, to it. For sure. And you know, maybe to to sort of switch to a related topic here, this is why I think, you know, Josh, I know you'll back me up here. This is why I think reforming how we value education is so goddamn important because you know and i'm not talking about private education i mean we've we've barely even scratched the surface on private education on the podcast before i think we talked about it a little bit in our education episode at one point yeah we'll get to that with with for-profit colleges and and all this right. other stuff or the you know the administration inflation but and, but and primary school you know elementary school you know daycare is a little bit different because daycare and preschool is mainly a place where we're just like look we just need our kids to like play with other kids until they're more no they're see more that's capable. not different though like that that's where most people are crippled because of how much money that costs and how crucial that social okay well, yeah, well yes is. Well, co cost is one thing and and the actual developmental skills that kids learn uh in daycares and in preschools is important yes but when it comes to certain skills and talents i think and and setting expectations for our place in society is uh, is obviously comes uh, to be much more important in elementary school and primary school for our uk listeners um because that's where you are developing much higher cognitive abilities, and that is where you are starting to be set on a path to participate in the economy. I think you would agree. And so, sure. Yeah. What, what no, I what I sure. think is what I think is really important here is that you know you were you know you were just saying that like you wish you knew like. Uh, you know, better ways to navigate the, the economy or, or certain industries or, you know, just given some better expectations. I wish, I mean, because I was, you know, look, I'm, I'm trying to be a writer. I'm trying to write a book. I've, I've loved it always. I love, I've loved philosophizing, but I've always had my eye. Well, not always, but, I, but uh, earlier on, I had my eyes set on a different path. I wanted to do physics and mathematics because the ideas are really interesting to me. Um, you know, I didn't really realize that, you know, my dyslexia and then having a kid and be married would be that much of a hindrance to following that path. Right. And so I wish that earlier on, you know, my skills would have been and talents would have been viewed as like, OK, he's really he's really interested in that, really good at that. He's failing in these other areas. Let's push him in the well, I mean, obviously help help him in the areas that he's struggling at, but push him towards the areas that he's good at. I wrote my first, you know, story in probably middle school sometime. I don't know when, maybe it was in sixth grade or something like that. And I got a lot of praise for it, but I like, that was like the f first and last thing that I did for years, for years. Like the only writing that I did um, was like one story. And I wish that I gotten more push in that direction because like when I got into, uh, when I got into college, I did creative writing. Um, but I never, you know, I never thought like, Oh, maybe I should just switch my major to that right now. And then stop myself all this, all this fucking pain, economic pain of like, you know, oh, I don't, should I do this major? Should I do that major? Oh, I have a kid now. Oh God, I'm 30. You know, like I wish that education, the state of education would be at a place where we can recognize what people are good at, 
you know, and I, and hopefully this doesn't sound dystopian, you know, like something like out of the giver, but I, but I'm hoping, you know, I would hope that if, if we could reform education in a way, at least public education, uh, when it comes to primary school, we could see what, pe- what kids are really enjoying and push that push them towards that direction if they you know if they're receptive to it because josh as you'll know you know we went we went to the same high school like i mean tell me you know i don't know you probably did better i guess you were in a bit of a different uh curricular realm than i was but you know tell me the 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 amount of bullshit if you went through any bullshit when it comes when it came to just like regular testing or like standardized tests or 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 owls or whatever i you know i can't or the cow tests you know all the bullshit that we had to go through just like owls did you speak uh, yes i'm sorry yeah you totally just totally ripped that off yeah um uh but you know like just like the bullshit that really didn't matter you know like it just didn't, you know, like, yeah, there were some cool things that you learned, you know, whether it came, you know, from elective classes or some of the friendships that you made with, or some interesting teachers that you, that you had, but like, I don't know about you, but like, I felt that high school especially was just bullshit. I mean, I struggled through it, you know, so like, obviously it's, it's a little bit different uh, for me than it was for you. You know, you were in theater, you know, everybody was jerking each other off. I'm sure it was a great time, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, I mean, don't be jealous that like <laughs> I actually excelled in school and had a great time and, yeah. and I could have graduated a year early, but I was like, really no, could have you do that like, could have you had huh. now theoretically not a year. I had to take, I had to take fall term of summer, uh-huh. but I could have had the, the last, the last two terms oh, shit. off. Yeah. Good for you. Um, but I just ended up taking fun courses cause cause fuck it. I didn't want to not be in school. I, I enjoyed learning, but I don't know. I think really what you're getting at here is, is the crux of, of my number one flaw. The number one flaw that we have in our democracy is that you would assume from democratic principles, especially when you read like, for example, you know, when you, when you're reading about dimmer, like, you know, if you look at Socrates or Plato or all these different people, they're literally trying to stress the idea that if you are going to take the majority's opinion and that's going to be the rule, then it would you, there would be this assumption that you should have an educated majority like there you should have set up a system that values education from early on so by the time that these people are old enough to vote that they understand how to vote and why they're voting and what's important about voting you know I, we talked about this in our first episode and i'm going to rehash this you know for all of our new listeners for those of you that have bared with us since this day one like we love you but for those of us <laughs> that are just coming in now welcome to the we party. also <laughs> love you yeah welcome to the party but my biggest thing is i remember in government like i wasn't taught about like the fact that we can vote and how you know like the concept of that, like the responsibility of a citizen to make sure that we know what we're voting on and like how it affects us. You know, like I remember watching a John Oliver episode just the other day and they're like, yeah, you should probably focus on your, on your local DAs because like the DA has, they make this decision, this And I was like, holy shit. I had no idea that the DA had like this much power and what decisions were being made. And so like, yeah, it's probably should, should pay more attention to who we're putting in these positions, you know? And, and that's something that I learned way later, but, in government, I learned what the three branches were. And then that was it. Like, you know, I remember taking like a finance course to like learn. That's another thing too. We haven't touched with education of how to handle credit. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people get into difficult financial situations, not because they, 
they ask to be there, but because they're kind of manipulated into signing into this deal that they don't know or understand. Yeah. You know, and, and I know I went through a program cause I was with that, but I remember taking finance. I, w- I learned how to like budget a checkbook, write a check. Nobody taught me what APRs were. Nobody taught me what interest rates were. Like we're not learning the things that we're going to practically deal with, you know, as participating in the, economy. yeah, actually, you know, and that's, that's actually huge. a little funny story is that my freshman year of high school, I took careers class. I don't know if you had to take uh, the same thing or did the same class or not. Um, but I took, I don't think I, I took did. careers class because it was, um, you know, you, you had to take it to graduate. So, you know, I was like, well, I just want to, I want to get this out of the way. You know, so it was one of the first classes that I, I it was like first. Well, class if for, you had to take it to graduate, then then maybe I did because I definitely graduated. So, well, the, well, the thing is, class. is like after after freshman year, after my freshman year, well, it would have been our freshman year um, after that year, they made it not mandatory to graduate. So, you know, which is just sort of ironic because I learned some pretty great things in there. You know, I learned about, uh, you know, I learned about, you know, how the stock market worked. Um, you know, for the most part, like I have no idea how the stock market works, you know, but I learned, you know, understanding, uh, credit. You listen to the sentence that just came out of your mouth. You just said, I learned how the stock market works. Well, maybe a little bit. I have no idea how the stock market works. That's literally <laughs> well, what I'm you just saying, said. I'm just saying like, you know, we got a rundown. Like you're proving the point, Ian, that education is so bad. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> well, <laughs> you claim to know things that you just know that you don't well, know. Exactly. Which is important, you know, because the thing is, is like, you know, what I, when I say like, I learned what the stock market was in this careers class, it's like, you know, here, here's what they trade. It's sort of not real because bonds aren't real, but it's promised money. Um, and, uh, everybody trades on that. And when, when people start selling a lot, it's really bad. Um, you know, like I don't, I don't really know how the stock market, stock market, work, stock market works. Jesus Christ. I can't even say that. You know, I don't understand what exactly a fiduciary is. I understand that, you know, they, they, they sort of watch your money, um, you know, or at least promise to, you know, we learned about banks and things like that. We also learned about balance sheet and checkbook. Um, you know, I understood credit a little bit more after the class, but the, but the, the general more larger point that I was making is that I still have no fucking idea how, you know, decisions are made in the stock market. I don't know, like how somebody decides it's like, Oh, well, this is your credit score. And therefore we're going to give you this percentage of interest rate because like, yeah, you know, like you've got a pretty good credit score, but we still don't trust you to pay your money back. So we're still going to charge you interest. You know, it's like, what? Like, there's so many things I don't understand about the financial world that could have been explained to me as a high schooler. And it would have probably been no problem at all because the teachers who who were there, well, maybe actually, maybe not because maybe some of the teachers who, you know, who are there are probably not paid enough and they probably are, you know, they, they probably got their masters in, you know, history and, and yet they're forced to teach gym or something um you know so i i guess the larger point is is like the 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 failed state of education of our public education is nowhere near where it needs to be i know could you imagine if we just took a little bit of our military budget and just repurposed it into like early childhood education and daycare like it'd be a start like you said you, you worry about yeah and you worry about you know you have to incentivize right so like you worry about how how are we gonna get quality education for everybody well, if you put a budget that's that's strong enough towards that, you know, and people can get the quality, you know, equipment or quality people like, you know, if if, if schools had budgets to where they can pay people what they're worth, 
you know that that is the level of competition that I'd rather see. Well, then also too, no, like I'd, I'd reducing class see. sizes, right? Like having more one-on-one time with kids. You know, not like one teacher to two hundred kids or something like that. Obviously, it's not that big of right. a disparity, but no, that's that's like that's like if you're if you're at like a popular university level, right? You for know, sure. That's what that's what that's when you'll see that kind of a stuff. But I just. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you on that standpoint, but I just feel that it's difficult when, you know, back to this, what I think is flaws, and especially in a conservative mind frame, as I go, if we can acknowledge that education isn't its strongest, if we can acknowledge that, like, on, on most polls, as you know, ed, you know, I think what, like, America only leads in a few categories. It's like most most incarcerated uh, individuals per whatever. Per I think per capita i think or something most incarcerated individuals i know we hold the 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 record for that i can't even remember the other thing we probably lead in most drug but crimes, we're not like uh most homicides <laughs> yeah but we're not we're not top you know in any kitchen like in any educational realm or, or facet and we you know we don't we we can acknowledge you and i right now we can acknowledge something like that however like so my question for you is in, in like your more libertarian leaning mind frame you know, the flaw that I kind of like see here is that like if if it's this concept of every individual is like left their their own devices, you know, and we're not in control of, of how we learn what we learn, like you still feel comfortable with like judging somebody for not being able to navigate a system that they maybe never even had a chance to learn to navigate. Maybe maybe judging is the wrong word. Yeah, you know, what I what I Fair see enough is this is going to sound well i mean familiar to you uh but probably terrible to some people but i uh, i i see a failure to overcome the struggles in a lot of people now that's not to say that i don't see that there are many many factors going against people who are struggling you know but i think there is almost always a a place for you know or or a way for them to to get over their struggle and that doesn't mean completely you know but i think there are so many resources available and i'm not talking about like government resources you know per se but i think that unless you are completely handicapped in you know mobility you know, so, you know, so any, like if you have absolutely zero social skills or you can't talk, you know, they're, they're like, you're severely drug addled, something like that, where you can't actually reach out to another human being, then yeah, maybe we should be helping those people. Um, but I think that, you know, and, and now again, this actually comes back to uh, a conversation that we had on our last bullshit Boulevard, um, which you can listen to if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash necessary BS pod, or maybe uh, NBS productions. I can't remember what our thing was either way. Yeah. Solid plug, solid <laughs> plug. It'll be in the episode right. description. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but you know, I talked about the size of our community and, you know, or the size of our communities rather. And the thing is, is like, if you're, if you're a struggling individual, who do you reach out to? If, you don't know your neighbor if you if your if your family doesn't live in the same neighborhood or even city you know maybe hundreds of miles away from you if you have no friends if you don't work um you know and you don't make you know cuz i mean let's be honest most people i think make their friends through work if they haven't already had friends through school um 
you know, if, if you don't have a if you don't have a strong community, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, the government, you know, and, and, and again, I'm not trying to throw shade at government programs uh, specifically here. But like if you don't have a, a strong community, like who do you reach out to? You know, I think one of the things that uh, that helped you know, you know, again, I'm, it's a bit weird to me to call it a community, but to help the gay community through the seventies and eighties and nineties were the fact that they had a community, they had places where they could go. They had gay bars, they had, you know, all sorts of resources that they made for themselves, uh, because they were struggling in society. You know, people looked down on them, you know, there was the whole fucking AIDS epidemic, uh, that many people fucking died from. Um, but they they made a community for themselves uh, to help each other out. That doesn't mean they didn't struggle in other ways. But when it came to their, uh, you know, to their sexual orientation, then that it helped. They helped one another. And I think that's a big thing here that I tend to see when I see people struggling and they otherwise have some kind of means that doesn't necessarily mean economic, but they're like, hey, they've got friends, you know, they've got. They've got someone to talk to. You know, there are government resources, despite their incredible inefficiency. There are still are government resources to help uh, people get up on their feet. You know, if you if you are completely incapable, then then I feel for you. I, I do. But if you have some ability to, you know, go to the library Right. And use the free computers, you know, because like a, because a, a membership is is free, by the way, at your local library, um, you know, to, to use the resources that they have available. Um, then I, I just don't know, like what else I personally could do for this person. You know, maybe we could have a better a better functioning and, be- and more efficient uh, government to to help these people to reach out to them. But. You know, as just as an individual, like, what am I going to do for for a person who just won't even, you know, go to the library? Well, this is the point, though. Okay, hold on. You're you're getting (laughs) real weird here, so I'm going to I'm going to jump in this because you took this a lot of places here. But again, I'm not trying to like. It's just so simple the way that you view Uh this, and I just don't think that it's that simplistic. (laughs) You know, it it has to be about. It's not about like the one person who like, okay, well, I'm going to get a community and I'm going to help myself out. Like, it's not, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about the fact that our system is so conducive to getting people to that position. You know, so many people like of, of, are a failure. Sorry, I just want you to clarify what position. The position of not having the capability to to navigate the system as well as they would like to. So maybe they're in deadbeat jobs. Maybe they're they're working. You know, for example, like you know, most people now, like you have to work two to three jobs. You know, depending on where you're at, if you want to be solo, like because rent's expensive everywhere you are, it's like you or like if you want to live on your own, for example, like now most people have have several roommates, and it's like there's so many kind of like stressors, and there's a lot, maybe even handling your your resilience, your mental dis, your mental dexterity is also dependent on your genetic and your environmental factors, and like I feel that what I'm trying to allude to here is that the goal is to prevent this to happen. Prevention's the best. Whatever you look at it, traditional medicine, they say prevention's <laughs> the best, but even like mental health, prevention is is better. So like, yeah, some some social policies that I that I advocate for, for tax dollars to go towards. It's not because I want to help the person who's struggling today. You know, if that helps them, it's sure enough. I'm not focused on that. Like a lot of like 
maybe conservatives are like, I'm not going to give him a handout. Like, okay, that's, that's fair that you're worried about like what's happening now, but I'm talking about like three generations from now. Again, what I've always taught, like from, you know, from my roommate and best friend, it's you, you got to play the long game. You got to think about the long game. And so like, if I'm playing the long game here, these policies might be like, oh, well, this person's going to take advantage or this person's not doing that. It's not for that because if those resources are there, then maybe the next generation that comes up doesn't come from, and maybe after that, you know, they come up and, and you're able to kind of reduce the level of negativity that's, that's pre-affecting us that we are judging ourselves on. I think what's that quote where if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to think that it's awful its whole life, you know, and, and that kind of area where I feel like we are judging people on, on situations that may not be right to judge them on. And if we want to prevent that problem and help future generations, you know, succeed, then some policies that kind of help the collective might be better societal wise in the long run, not the short. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I don't necessarily disagree uh, with that, but I, you know, there's, there's a few, there's like a phrase that I'm, that I'm hearing that is to me, not, not bad, but I, I, I think is maybe the wrong perspective to be looking at it here. And not to say that, you know, uh, you weren't being pragmatic because I think you are, um, you, you know, but you said, you know, like helping people succeed. I think there's so much of that word that is tied up into economic success that I know, I, I know that you also worry about that. And I know that you're not blind to that problem, but I think so much of our worry, uh, you know, our, as in, you know, in general is that we need to make sure that people find some type of economic stability and that's important. But I, you know, one of the biggest things that I worry about is, is setting the stage, you know, whether it comes from early childhood ed- education or uh, communal help, you know, with, you know, from your neighbors or, or, or a larger community. Um, but something that allows individuals to better um, better support and help a culture flourish that is conducive to people either being more creative, more economically successful, more, I don't know, just, just a place where we can call a culture conducive to people, not necessarily being happy or free, but just participating in that culture, having a healthy culture, because I think economic success can only get you so far. You know, if you look at yeah, but it's so intertwined, Ian. Like, I feel like that's what you're well, missing out. Like, I, I don't, don't, I'm not, I don't normally that. focus I'm not on. That. I'm just saying, like, I don't know, I don't normally focus on economic success, but when it's so intertwined with in how we we have, you know, for example, like whether whether you're a believer in Maslow, whether like most people say his his hierarchy of needs is like not structured the way that I kind of interpret it, but it's still this concept of you know, for like getting into a place, right? You know, when you want to move. It's not just moving and then paying the rent. It's a security deposit. It's the cleaning fee from leaving. It's, it's, you know, most places, you know, like, okay, this is actually a prime example and I'll get your thoughts. When, when I first was moving from Southern California back to Oregon, I was looking at like different houses in Portland and there was, there were so many different places where it was like, you know, oh, I like saw this place. Oh my gosh, it was like it was it was only twenty min twenty five minutes outside of town, which wasn't bad. It's like a nice little house, and it was like you know eight hundred dollars a month, and I was like, 
that's amazing. Like I can do a hundred dollars a month. That's, that's perfect. But when you look at it, they wanted double rent for security. So that's 1600, you know, on top of, of the application fee. And then they wanted the first month down. So like it went from 800 a month, which is manageable to now me almost needing three grand, you know, in order to just get into the place. And I couldn't do that. You know, and, and I get it. Like, I understand that there's risk assessment and this is why everything is so complex. Like I, I, like, you know, I, I always judge, like, why do banks, if people, if people spend money, they don't have, they get charged more money. Like if you think about it, it's kind of hilarious because it seems counterintuitive, but it also like, you're trying to teach a lesson and I get it. Like they're trying to prevent you from doing that in the future, but like that kind of mode to where, of flesh. you know, when you. Yeah. Yeah. They take their pound of flesh or, you know, you look at how much college has increased. So it's like, if you want to go higher education, like you're going to be thousands of dollars in debt. If you don't have a background that might be detrimental to kind of your, your, your regular health. Or like, if you don't have a roof over your head, you know, that could be positive. You can't afford food. Or if you, the food that you're eating is high in sodium, because let's, let's be honest, like the diet of, of the, you know, for people that go to McDonald's or, you know, all the time because it's cheaper or you're going to get top ramen and you know, all these high sodium, you know, cheap foods that preserve, like not eating the right thing that can mess up with your development and all sorts of facets. Cause it's cheaper to eat that way. There, there's just so many interconnections between what the dollar gets you in our society and how it affects your health that like, I feel like they're so intertwined. It's, it's hard to separate it when you're, when you're discussing societal like wants or needs, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and it does, it does. You know, I, I do think the, um, just a quick sidebar. I do think the sodium thing I don't, that's a difficult one because our body craves sodium and we've, we've incentivized ourselves to have a lot of sodium in our diet, uh, because we have, um, a food excess now where, you know, like we we have, we have everything in so many large quantities that we haven't adapted to those large quantities. So we still crave things like sodium and sugar in large amounts, but that's another, that's another point. Um, but Josh, you know, I guess the the thing that I want to push back on a little bit here is look at places where you do have large, um, you know, economic safety nets. You know, now granted, this is going to be this is you know this example isn't amazing because we obviously um, don't know exactly the goings on within the country. Obviously, a lot of people are still within the poverty line and are suffering for working. Um, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous jobs, but you take a country like China where now this is not to just highlight how bad the government is, even though it is, but the government has complete control over the economic sector in China. They just do, um, you know, they, you know, not, the, not that they control where people work, you know, people can work wherever they want. And so far as they can get the job, you know, but like everything, you know, about your money, you know, is, is dictated by the state, you know, everything that comes to, uh, the social aspects, you know, like you have social credits in places like Beijing, um, you know, it's it, they completely control the economic sector, um, especially when it comes to large corporate entities. Um, but the culture within China, now granted, I, I'm not Chinese. I, I've never been to China. I don't know how it is, you know, but for the most part, I think we can see from outside sources that people are pretty miserable there. And I don't necessarily think that it is because of poverty. I think that's a, I think that's a part of it. You know, it's obviously not as bad as somewhere like North Korea, but 
you know, people are struggling over there and it's not because of the lack of social welfare programs. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only solution to the problems that people face, obviously. And I know that's not the only thing that you've been suggesting, but I think that we are overlooking the, you know, other avenues where we could be helping people. I think, you know, this is something I've actually been a bit conflicted on is that, I don't know, I guess you, you haven't, you haven't actually lived in Portland. You've been, or did you live in Portland? Yeah. I know you were saying that you tried no, to get in Portland. I've never, I've never, I've never, I've never like, I've never officially okay. lived in Portland. So um, a few years ago, Portland, the, the city council there, they passed some art tax um, that, you know, it, people didn't really vote on. I certainly didn't vote for it. Um, <laughs> and basically is what they, is what they decided is that for struggling artists um, that they would take now I'm being facetious, but is what it really was. It's like for, for specific art programs in schools uh, in, in the, in the Multnomah County school district is that they would take money out of your paycheck or sorry. No, they didn't even do that. They would request money via check or via bill, basically uh, that they would send to you if you were a Portland resident every year uh, to go to this uh, art program. Now, the problem was, is like one of the reasons why it was so uh, contested, especially in the um, in the sort of suburbs of Portland, is that people didn't actually know how the money was going to be spending on the art programs. And when it was voted on it, I think it took several years for an actual art program to be put together. That makes sense because of, um, you know, the sort of bureaucratic nature of it and trying to get down the system. But regardless, it was very unknown to the average voter in Portland, it, yet it was passed regardless. And you know, the, the problem with that is that I want more art to be available, uh, you know, more art programs to be available for, for young kids, because I think that is super enriching to children. I think that helps the culture be more healthy in a lot of important ways, you know, but we, they, the city of Portland just didn't know how to implement it well. And it was frustrating, especially as a voter living there. Um, and, you know, especially when people in the inner city had this own idea of how it'd work and people in, you know, in Gresham and in Hillsborough and, and Tigard had their other, you know, had their own ideas of how it worked, but it, it was Multnomah County wide. Um, so the point here that I'm making is that there are other ways, you know, we have to be careful about how they're implemented, but I think there are other ways to enrich one another and help them, you know, and I think having a higher focus on art and other things is a really good way to go rather than just making sure that people um, can better navigate the economic landscape. I don't know. Like, is that, yeah, but I think it's a balance. Arg it's a balance argument, Ian. Like when you bring up like places like China, for example, it's like they still, the China, like, like you said, Chinese government, they dictate everything that's posting online. Like you can't, you know, look what's going on with Hong Kong. Oh God. Yeah. You know, and wanting to have a sense of independence and like this, 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 this attack of like either the propaganda that the Chinese government uses or how they like, you know, they monitor the internet. You can't speak up like, yes, there, there might be a sense of like, oh, I can choose where I want to work, but there's no real sense of, of this liberal freedom, this freedom of interference. You know what I mean? This, this, this positive freedom that, that, you know, we can understand, you know, and, and like, oh, we're not being you in America, we're not being interfered. And so then it's the next level. It's this capability aspect. That's the only reason why, you know, I, I believe that like economic struck or, or people that are, that we can set them up to be economically successful can then we already have the freedom to open up, discover the arts that we want to, or, or the things that we want to don't want to do. That's why I want to bring that next element into it. We, from, in my opinion, we conflate the two. We, we think that freedom of interference 
you know, freedom to, to do what we want to do. Like, you know, is, is the ultimate, it's the end all be all. And we're not, we're not focused on the capability to be free, to do what we're free to do. Like that's the next element. That's the, that we have to focus on that we're not focusing on, you know, and, and that's the, the, the struggles. And there's people that come from wealthy backgrounds or they come from well-off backgrounds and, and they don't, they can't see that. They can't understand, you know, like, what do you mean capability? Like I was able to do it. You know, there's this, this separation. I mean, I got to admit, I'm Josh, not, I'm, I'm, that... I'm still struggling to understand exactly what you mean by it. Well, exactly. And I, and I, and I, that's like a, that's like a clear thing. And I've been trying and it's probably my fault for not finding a better way to explain it to you because of the fact that like, you know, even your own limitations of capability, you know, what's been, you know, what's the, you know, the compassion of things with your family in your own situation where like, thankfully that your family is in a position to hold you and your family up. Because you could be, you know, in a position where the the it could have crashed with with the wife and a kid, you both laid off, and you don't have that resource. You know what the fuck are you gonna do then? You know, and so it's this it's just more of this this level of what is possible that has been dictated by the dollar amount. And I'm only kind of saying this just the way that we have evolved. And like I said, as we've you and I have argued with capitalism before, as we go through time. And as more people get to the top and prevent others from, from achieving that goal, because they don't want to lose what they have, you know, it's not a transfer of this. It's either like, okay, you know, look at like most corporate positions. You get to, you get to be this position when I die, you know, <laughs> like, or, you know, it's, it's just kind of wild. And, and so that is kind of, and maybe we, we should have an episode. I, maybe I should try to like, you know, work my thoughts out about capability and, and try to explain it to, or maybe flush it out with you of like, what, what are the questions and why you're not quite understanding it? You know, and maybe it's you don't think it's kind of there because like you I don't know if you think you create your own capability. I'm just arguing that, you know, and maybe I'm being more cognitively biased in my own situation because there's a lot of things that I'm learning now that like I understand that like I'm hindered by my capability to make changes that I would like to make. And so like and then I look at other people's stories and it's not necessarily just about the money that they want. Like money translates to capability. Just like we talked about value, human value and a dollar amount. You know, you're paid a certain amount. You value yourself because of what you're paid. You know, it's that's in, in these are big words and we'll, we'll go through that and other things. But that's why I kind of have my my mind frame of the flaws that I see, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah, maybe maybe we can end on 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 this last point um, if you're willing to go here with me. But I think that. What I what I question, and this is this is you know I, I'm being a bit, um, you know, esoteric here, but what about, you know, let, let's just assume that there was someone out there, you know, who's perfectly neuronormative, you know, they don't have any other psychological issues, they're perfectly healthy, um, they've had it okay for you know economically, you know, for most of their life, maybe they're about twenty five or something like that, and they want to quit their job and follow some specific uh, specific passion. Maybe it's to write a book. Maybe it's to, uh, you know, make a film. Maybe it's to like tr travel to France or something, you know, something highfalutin. But that means that they, uh, you know, have to sacrifice a decent paying job. They, you know, they might not have um, access to, to good food or, or to, you know, somewhere to sleep, um, every night, isn't there something to be said about making a sacrifice, 
you know, now, now granted, this is, this is obviously not going to make, this is obviously not going to affect every, every person here. Like this is just one example. Um, you know, but isn't there something to be said about making a sacrifice for something that, you know, won't be valued or, you know, won't bring you economic success, you know, because what I, you know, again, this is, this is going to sound highfalutin and esoteric, but what I sort of worry about a little bit is when it comes to an individual having a fulfilling life, you know, are you going to let economic failure stop you from doing something amazing, you know, no matter the hardship, doesn't that, doesn't that inform some kind of pathos in your life? Doesn't that enrich you in some way? You know, like if, if I wanted to, okay, writing a book, for example, you know, if I wanted to go live in a shitty apartment and, you know, maybe cut ties with my family or something like that and not be able to pay for heating or not eat very well, but I really, really need to write this, you know, true crime vampire romance novel for young adults. Um, <laughs> you know, if I really wanted to go out and do that, shouldn't I, shouldn't I do that? Like, I don't know. Like I I'm seeing some type of value in making a sacrifice for the sake of something, you know, bigger for yourself. Like it, 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 is this just my privileged way of thinking, you know, and you know, informing me. Not here? really privileged. I was going to actually throw it back on you. It's like, it's like almost Nietzsche where you're, you're taking this negative thing and you're, and you're spinning it on its head. Is that you're what like, I'm doing? You're Josh? trying to like, you're trying to make sacrifice a positive virtue, <laughs> you know, like in your, and, but no, no, I'm actually just kidding. I look, I, I, I'm sympathetic to that and I understand what you mean. However, like, I don't think that that like replaces or justifies you know, like the level of, of sacrifices that we're all making already. You know, I just feel like in my mind, like it's not these, not just economic success. If you want to be perfectly fair here, the last thing I'll end on is that if I, if I'm daydreaming a society, I think that those that want to explore the arts, we should have a society where that doesn't economically destroy you. You shouldn't have to make a sacrifice for pursuing something that you enjoy, especially if you're good at it, or if you, if this is something that, that gives you fulfillment. And of course, again, fulfillment's difficult too, because it's also idiosyncratic to each individual. You know, it's also dependent on what you thinks that is. And there's no real, like, it's difficult, you know, now we're getting super philosophical when we can fill the next, you know, three hours, like we do this, but I know we're not covering uh, what you want to cover. So <laughs> we're not going to do three hours, but, <laughs> but I guess at the end of the day, my my main flaws, okay, with the system that we have now is we we're just kind of disingenuous to where we we acknowledge things that are not necessarily truthful, you know, because it's more of the vision that we want it to be, aka like you know, oh, like all of the American people have spoken. This is we we now agree on this. It's like no, we don't. There's still a subset of us that do not agree on that. Or it's like we need to band together and stop doing this. Okay, well, but this is not being done. You know, and then also it's like we need to stop voting fraud and, and voting suppression and all these things. And like that's also one thing that we didn't discuss that like I just want to make clear the fact that we have no central kind of either holiday or system for all of us to vote blows my fucking mind. You know, we 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 pride ourselves of being democratic and we pride ourselves of and that's the rhetoric that's used on popular side. Oh, it's we the people. We the people this like even Donald Trump. Oh, the you know, the people have decided that like I'm the best, you know, like oh, accept the election, accept the results, right? When Trump won, oh, like the people have decided, like you need to accept, like that was the huge like thing on the other side, and now 
it's not a you know it's not being accepted and so there's all these different things where I think, Ian, it just boils back down to where if we spent more money on early education, like, I think we can agree that that's a great first start. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I, I do agree with that. So um, with that being said, uh, Josh, you want to get out of here? Yeah, I guess so. And you must be ready to, because if you just agreed with me on that last point and then wanted to dip. <laughs> <laughs> I, just thought, I, thought, I just thought it was a great ending point. I mean, no, I well, know, fair enough. Fairness, all right, but... guys. Well, that sounds like a plan. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. That's our anniversary episode. I mean, like we talked about that in the beginning, but three years, yeah. man, you and I have been, I probably talked to you like probably more than, more anybody, than anybody else. else. <laughs> really, if you think about it, if we timed all like I the ever conversations and the hours that we spent together on this podcast. So well, I don't even um, want to know how many hours. I don't well, even want to yeah, know. Well, you season's bullshitters and your new and your newbies joining us, your our new bullshitters. We love you. Thank you. Please like, share, subscribe. Necessarybspod.com. Um, it's gonna be great. Yep. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>